0: The one story that can supercharge your traffic, increase your conversions, is your customer story. I'm gonna send you nine systems for finding and collecting those stories no matter where they happen. Just text GMS9 to 321-392-6692 or click the link in the show notes to get those today.
1: In a world full of
0: boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone, on? use his video marketing knowledge, the red button, right? and use his friends please be on the show? to change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian.
1: What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show, and on today's show, we have yet another amazing, amazing guest. Our guest today has a pretty interesting background. He's a recovering attorney, Time Magazine 100 Most Influentialist, not bad. Books have sold over 3 million copies, subject of a movie, and he's been... Also banned from the entire Embassy Suites hotel chain. Uh, Tucker Max, thanks for being on the show. Definitely. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, We don't have to talk about the Embassy Suites thing too much, but um, tell me, uh, you know, I've worked with attorneys and and you have this big background, but can you tell me a little bit about the, the move from the legal, I mean, you graduated from Duke with a JD, and at what point did you decide that you don't want to be an
1: attorney? Well, probably the point when I was fired from my first job. <laughs> and, uh, well, it wasn't even just that I got fired. I, I got fired in a very public way because I ended up writing an email about what happened. Basically, I got really drunk at this firm event. And I, uh, you know, like I took the mic from the uh, this uh, like there was like a charity auction thing at, at, at the firm. And I took the mic from the auctioneer and I um, uh, whatever I just did all kinds of nonsense. And, uh, and uh, you know, not surprisingly, I was fired. And I, and I wrote an email to my friends about this, and they forwarded it to their friends, and then it, like, became this huge thing. And so I didn't only get fired. I got fired in such a way where like every law firm in the country knew about it and knew uh, that I got fired. <laughs> so I basically got blackballed out of the legal profession.
0: <laughs> or, or at least big legal, right? You can always go back and yeah, get right. single. Awesome. No, I mean, I could, I could be a public defender or something terrible like that. Yeah, but I think you chose a better path here. I yeah. mean, you, you have an amazing story. It's well documented out there. So, you know, there's books, there's movies about it. Uh, that's fantastic. So tell me, you know, now you have this new business or a relatively new. Um, tell me about that transition. When did you decide you wanted to get into this? Tell me about that business and, you know,
1: you're, you're helping people with books. Tell me a little bit about how that worked out. Right. So the company is called book in a box. And basically I, I kind of lucked and fell into it. Like I have most things in my life. I was at this, I was at this entrepreneur dinner and this uh, woman asked me very sincerely, like how, how can she write a book if she doesn't have time to sit down and write it? And, you know, cause she's, she's, uh, runs a business, has a family, like, you know, all the normal sort of time constraints that most entrepreneurs and, and professionals have. And instead of like sincerely answering her question, I made fun of her and I mocked her and I like questioned her work ethic and like, uh, like, you know, all the things that obnoxious, pretentious writers do that I hate. Actually I did. And, and so she, she wasn't taking that. She kind of like rolled her eyes at me and said, you know, like, listen, isn't this an entrepreneur dinner? I'm like, yeah, of course. She's like, well, then why are you here? If you're not going to help me solve my problem, you should not be at an entrepreneur dinner. You should be somewhere else. (laughs) I was like, all right, all right, all right. Hold on. So, uh, so I, um, I basically got obsessed with this idea. How can I help this woman get her ideas out of her head and into a book without her having to sit down and type them up for a year, right? Hmm. And um, I could not figure out the solution until one day it just came to me that like Socrates never wrote anything down. Jesus never wrote anything down. Buddha never wrote anything down. Malcolm X never wrote anything down. But their books are some of the greatest books of Western history. So how do we have them? Because scribes wrote them down. There is a structure for writing a book. And you don't have to be the one to type it to get your knowledge and wisdom into a book. And, uh, and so basically what I did was, I mean, I've written a bunch of books. And so I, I literally got on a whiteboard and wrote down every single step to write a book. And then instead of telling her what to do or having her do it, uh, I just got on the phone with her. Uh, And I, you know, like every like positioning, structuring the idea, outlining the idea, you know, like getting the content out instead of writing it. I just interviewed her. Right. And and then I recorded those interviews and I got them transcribed and then I edited that and et cetera, et cetera. And we ended up with this amazing book. And, you know, I did all the publishing, you know, because I already had my own publishing company. So I just, you know, I did the cover design. I did. I had my freelancers do all that sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, she paid me 10 grand and she had this incredible book. And then she referred a bunch of people to me. And then Lewis Howes heard about this and brought me on his podcast. We've been friends already. And then it just kind of blew up, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, I actually remember that podcast. That's fantastic.
0: You know, I, it's interesting you say you lucked into it. And there's a couple things I want to t- talk about here because you said two really interesting things. First was a mind shift for me. It's like Bo- the Buddha-Jesus thing. That's fantastic because that's so, so true, right? We think that to be a writer or to have a published book – you need to be one sweating it out. I mean, I've thought that in the past. I've written a few books and, you know, it, it's hellacious and it's horrible and, you know, it's great for your thinking, but what <laughs> entrepreneur has time to do it. And that, that's a big mind shift, I think.
1: When did you come to that idea? Was that right away or is that over time in the marketing strategy? That's honestly how I came to the realization that this was the way to do it. You know, like, I wish I could tell you, like, I'm some genius and I, I thought all this out and blah, 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 blah. That's not what happened at all. What happened was I was sitting, I think I was sitting in the shower or something. Or uh, Honestly, like, this is going to sound really stupid, but this is the truth. Do you remember the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Of course. <laughs> okay. So, you know, the, the, the scene with Socrates, right? Socrates. Um, Socrates, Right. So, uh, I was thinking about that for some stupid reason. I think I was having an argument with somebody about what Keanu Reeves' best role was, which is clearly Bill and Ted's. Oh, that's the only role around it. Right, that's the only role he's ever uh, been good at. And they were trying to argue something terrible, like The Matrix. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> anyway, so then I, like, we were having that discussion, and then I thought, it just came to me wait a minute. Socrates never wrote anything down, it was Plato who wrote everything down. If Socrates can do it, why can't Melissa? And then I, I think I actually said Jesus. And I'm like, well, Jesus did it, did it too, and Buddha. And then I was like, well, why can't Melissa do the same thing that, that all these other people, you know? That's and funny. then from there, it was just a matter of figuring out the steps, you know.
0: And I think that's a big thing. Looking at, I mean, when I look at your history, and I've been talking to people a lot about this, especially as entrepreneurism has grown, and people that have that me too philosophy, um, and they look and they have offer envy is that you're open to whatever's happening, right? And that's kind of what's the tale of your life. It's like you just see what's going on around you and just ride that wave, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would think more it's like, here's a a better comparison. It's sort of like, you know, and I don't know if you grew up playing sports, but I did. Uh, Mm -hmm. In basketball, my coach, for whatever reason, was never, I never liked shooting. I I was a point guard, and I always liked setting up my teammates. And I, I passed up another open shot, and my coach pulled me out of the game. And he's like, Tucker, why do you not take open shots? And I'm like, what if I miss? And he goes, you miss every single goddamn shot you don't take. And, uh, <laughs> and that kind of stuck with me, right? Yeah. And so I think most of what I've done in my life is I've tried to create, like what this Sim Taleb calls optionality, mm-hmm. I create as many opportunities as I can. And I realize most of them aren't going to work out, but the ones that do uh, usually work out really well right? It's sort of like, uh, little Wayne does the same thing in music. That dude will sing on anyone's track. Uh, he has done 5,000 mixtapes. There's, it's like a running joke. Like little Wayne doesn't know how many songs little Wayne has done. Right. Uh, but like, that's why he has so many hits is because he records so many songs, right? The people that I know of that are the most successful, they don't do the most things, but they try the most things and then the things that work, they pick those up and they carry those. And they work the hell out of those, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, completely. You know, the, I was just talking to someone about this the other day. And it's a trading philosophy. He brought up Nassim Taleb. And, you know, that guy's constantly losing. And for those of you that you don't know, he wrote The Black Swan, not the ballet thing. It's a great book. But, you know, it, he's constantly losing till he wins huge. And most traders, the best traders, you know, I, I, was, I trade for a hedge fund. The best traders are right thirty percent of the time, and they just ride those wins.
1: That's the thing, though, is that the times they're right, they double and triple and quadruple and ten x down. So that's the thing. If you lose, let's make a little whatever uh, a simple analogy. If you have ten trades and you lose a dollar on seven of those trades, and then on three of those trades you make a hundred dollars a piece, you now have two hundred ninety three dollars. Mm-hmm. You know. It's not about how many trades you win. It's about the size of the wins, you know? So I've probably had legitimately 500 or 1,000 things similar to Book in a Box and what happened with Melissa come up, and most of them don't go anywhere or they're dumb ideas or they don't pan out or whatever. You're hearing about the one that wasn't a dumb idea that worked really well because I picked it up and carried it, and now we're two years in. We've done 300 books. We've done, you know, five, six million in revenue, and we've just gotten started, you know? That's
0: great. That's and that's fantastic. And I want to talk a little bit about that win philosophy. You know, at what point do you decide when some something's a loser? How do you know when it's a loser? Or is it is, is it intuition?
1: Or you're know, like no, uh, no. Um, that, it's a great question. I think there's. It, I'm not sure. So are we talking about entrepreneurial stuff. Like, anything. If we're talking about like. Well, see, there's different answers. If you're talking about a person you're dating, it's a very different answer than if a trade is a loser, when it's a very different answer than if a company idea is a loser. Okay, yeah. You so, know? so, a
0: trade, you should know when it's a loser
1: before you get into it. You right. I mean? Well, you should define, you can define what it is too. It can be, you know, 10% down, 5% down, 50% down. It just yeah. depends.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like in the scene, Fleb, I mean, he's just letting these micro options expire. So, yeah, entrepreneurial. When do you decide it's a loser?
1: So it took me a while, I think, to really refine how I think about entrepreneurship. But it's one of those things that as soon as you get it, you realize how simple it is and you feel foolish. But everything about entrepreneurship is about solving a problem for someone or giving them something that they want, right? which are not the exact same things. They can be similar, but they're not exactly the same thing. I'll I'll give you an example. Solving a problem is like, you know uber solved a major problem right uh, uh so that's like an obvious sort of one whereas like um let's say the iphone no one knew they needed an iphone until they saw they had a, the, the, what the iphone was right the iphone gave people things that they wanted facebook gave people something they wanted it didn't solve a problem right yeah so it so there's two very different approaches to entrepreneurship. Book in a box, the thing that gives people what they want tend to be the far more valuable. The ones that solve clear problems tend to be easier to start. So book in a box solves a clear problem. You know, um, a lot of people want to write books. A lot of people have great books in them. And very few of those people have the time or the ability or the desire to sit down and write the book in the normal process. So we solve the problem. Now, some things are both. What we're starting to find out is that there's a huge class of people who never even considered writing books who are now doing it because we exist, right? So that's sort of like Uber. It's sort of the same way. It solved the problem, which is like, how do I get a taxi you know, or a car? But now there's all kinds of people who have opportunities open up that, that never would have considered taking taxis, right? So that's to, to come back and answer your question. I think about a winner or a loser as first and foremost, what problem is this solving? And then will people pay for it? And if it's not one of those two things, then I think, is this giving something really, really big to people that they don't have, but they want? And if your idea isn't doing any of those things, then it doesn't matter how clever it is. It doesn't matter how cool you think it is. None of the other stuff matters. The entire point of business is to create value. For other people, ideally, value that 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 is more valuable than your time. That's why you get paid for it. You know, mm-hmm. oh, that's, so that's the point. That's how I look at it. Is dude, I've had so many ideas that I thought were so clever, and they were clever, but they were not valuable businesses because no one either they weren't producing enough value, or no one was willing to pay for them. And so now you have book in a
0: box. And right. so the process. Tell me a little bit about the process of how book in a box
1: works. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty simple to explain, uh, and, and it feels like magic for the author. It feels really, really simple. Let's say you were a client. Once you start, all you really have to do is pick up your phone and talk uh, about what stuff you already know, and that's it. We handle everything else. So basically, we position your book first, which means we understand exactly what the book is about and who you're trying to reach and why they're going to care. Then we help you structure your, your knowledge and information Then uh, we, it's all through conversation. Then we outline it. We create a 15 to 20 page outline based on those conversations. Then we interview you uh, in a very structured way off of the outline to get all your knowledge and wisdom about your book topic out of your head. And then we transcribe that interview. We edit that transcription into um, book prose. It's all your ideas, your words, your voice. We just make it all flow on the page. And, uh, you know, you read it, you approve it, you give notes, we, you know, we we do a whole revision process, and then from there, we do the rest of the publishing, interior layout, book cover design, et cetera, et cetera. It seems pretty easy. <laughs> distribution. I mean, everything. From start to finish, it is six months. From the day you sign the contract to the day the book comes out, if you're going at our pace and our speed, uh, it only takes about six months. That's
0: awesome. And who, I mean, who is it really working with? Who are you seeing it
1: resonate with, and who wouldn't do this? So the people who should not do this are people who have time to write and like writing and are good writers. Uh, Our process is not designed for writers. In fact, it's literally designed for people who are not writers or who don't have time to write or who don't like writing. That's the thing, is that you don't we we like to say that if you don't want to touch a keyboard, you don't have to using our process. Like we, we even have a revisions and editing process that you can do on the phone. Like what we do is we have you read the book out loud to your editor and as you read it that which is a really cool kind of secret editing technique that even writers can use as you read it you're going to hear problems and 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 be able to call them out be like oh yeah change this change that etc etc that works really well but the people who this works for is i mean every pretty much every we've gotten to the day and age all james all is a good friend of mine likes to say this that this is the day and age now where every professional should have a book and if they don't have a book then it's, you're almost behind now, you know? It's sort of like the, a lot of people like to say a book is the new business card. I actually don't agree that a book is the new business card because it, you can, anyone can go to Home Depot and buy a business card, you know? Like it doesn't make you, sorry, Office Depot and buy a business card. But you can't go and buy a book, you know? And so like an author, a book. So I, th- I feel like a book is almost like the new college degree. It's sort of like the new status symbol for consultants, for executives for professionals, even for entrepreneurs and companies. I mean, your podcast used to be called the Tao of Inbound. I don't know if there's any better way to to do inbound marketing than through a book. Yeah. So that's the answer. Awesome. Awesome. Everybody
0: almost. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. It is true. It's an authority piece. You know, we, we just talked about it, too, and, and most people are, I mean, you know, and if you're honest with yourself, too, a lot of people aren't going to read your book. How many people pick up books and just read the first chapter and they say they read the book?
1: <laughs> right, well, th- it's not only that. So th- there are a lot of people who don't read the book, and the fact you have a book that looks credible and successful, they will give you all kinds of credibility for it. But here's the thing, though. At least 10 to 20% of the people who engage with your book will actually read it. So if you write a crap book, people will judge you for it and they will judge you harshly. Whereas if you write a really good book, what that does is that gives people, not only the people who read it, but it not only impresses them, but it actually gives people a way to talk about you and refer people to you that is really kind of pretty much the best marketing there is. It facilitates word of mouth. I'll give you a great example. So Cameron Harold is my executive CEO co I hired a CEO to replace me, but he's still my sort of executive coach because uh, I still need a lot of help because I'm a pretty crappy executive. And the way I found him was through a book. So not, uh, he was not our client. Um, he now is. He's doing three books with us. But he started off, <clears throat> I read the book Double Double because I was looking for like a guide on how to be a really good, not an entrepreneur because I know how to start things and test things. I don't know how to scale things. And there's not a lot of books uh, about this. And so I read Cameron's book and I was blown away at how good it was. And I, and I, dude, I read 30, 20, 30 books on the subject and most of them stink. And his was amazing. And so I reached out to him, figured out what he charges for coaching, got him to not just coach me, he actually became an advisor to my company. And so he actually owns a piece of the company now, all because of his book, right? Uh, there's probably 500 or 1,000 people in America who could. Be doing the job he's doing, let's say, but he's the one doing it because he's the only one who had a great book that explained exactly what he knew. And I was like, I want this guy to teach me everything he knows, everything that's not in the book, plus applying the book to to me in my life. And it's turned out great for both of us. Awesome, I love
0: it. And it, yeah, that's it's a great way to you know just get right into someone's mind, and it makes me want to start writing a book right now. <laughs> You're like, I need
1: to. Yeah, right. If only you knew someone who could help you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and so, you know, you talk about firing yourself as CEO, and I, I saw some stuff about that. Can you tell me a little bit about that process? Not to go completely off on a tangent, but, you know, as your business evolved, how did you realize that you needed to step down from
1: that CEO, and how's that affected your business? Uh, well, first off, it, it's affected our business dramatically for the better. Uh, the guy I hired to replace me is J.T. McCormick he was like employee number whatever 5 at a company called Headspring which is a big software company in Austin and took them from i don't know 2 million a year to 20 million or to 100 million in 5 years they were like they're like an amazing company and 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 he is even better now at our place he's dude it's the difference between like you know how like as an entrepreneur you kind of get the mindset that all corporate people are stupid and ineffective and worthless and then you meet one that's amazing. And you realize why the good ones are paid so much. Like this dude is so good. It's like, I thought that I was kind of just barely missing the mark as a CEO. And he's been with us for six months now. And watching him for six months, I'm like, I wasn't even close. Like I wasn't even close (laughs) to what we needed. Like I was a decade away from being good enough, maybe a decade away, if I was lucky. He's just changed everything. It's just accountability Attention to detail, customer service—he just gets everything on a level with a quickness and an experience that just I just don't have. Uh, we had a you know a, like a record quarter last quarter. We're doing amazing, and it's all because of him. And the the way I came to that realization, man, is just like it's tough, but it's basically like I just I kept seeing major things the company, major decisions the company had to make, and that the company that I was making and I was getting wrong. And not like disastrously wrong. It's not like I was driving, you know, a ship into a seawall or something. But it, it, you keep making big decisions wrong. Eventually, you do, you know, you you at, at best you limit the growth of the company. At worst, you ruin it. And I just didn't want to ruin this company, man. Um, we got such a great idea, and we just needed the right person to lead it. And I wasn't that person. I was the person to start it. You
0: know. Yep, that's that's a great realization that you know the, that. The person, the entrepreneur is not always the best long-term CEO. That's a, that's a fantastic realization.
1: No, I, I definitely was not it.
0: Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about marketing because this is inbound marketing. Besides the book, of all your marketing successes, what do you think is the biggest one you guys have had so far?
1: You want to hear something uh, nuts? I, I, my real answer is I feel like we haven't had any yet. So hey, let me back up a little bit. I'll tell you one. I, I, I've been angel investing for, I don't do it anymore, but I did it for a long time. I, I invested in about 80 companies and I've had some big exits. Some some you've heard of like Slack and Palantir and stuff. So I, I know investing and I know what companies look like from the other side. And one of the things you hear startups say all the time is, oh, like look at all this traction and we haven't even done any marketing. And they think that's like a good thing. Like, you know, like their product's so great. Uh, without marketing, imagine what they'll do with marketing is the implication, right? Mm-hmm. But whenever a startup said that to me, I, I, don't th- I don't know if I've ever actually invested in a company that said that. Because what that told me is that you don't know who your customers are, you don't know how to reach them, and you don't know how much it's going to cost to reach them. And as, as insightful as that analysis that I just gave you was, I'm the moron who did that in my own company. <laughs> <laughs> because, so, because here's the thing. There was so much demand for what we were doing. And customers were so easy for us for the first year that we got me specifically, we got really lazy with our marketing and we really didn't do all the work you have to, to really nail down your channels, to really know who your customers are, to really know what the cost of acquisition is. And we're really starting to do that now. And um, so I feel like we haven't done anything smart marketing wise yet. All we've done is be the first ones in to a, a huge market with an innovative solution, you know? So it's, it's like saying like, it's, it's like complimenting a seven footer because they could dunk. It's like, you should be able to dunk. You're seven feet tall, you know? <laughs>
0: That's a great analogy. Awesome. So, you know, we do a lot of video marketing. I mean, I have a video agency and uh, I've been in video for a long time. And, you know, I'm looking, I saw your case study on the Book in a Box homepage. It was compelling. I mean, are you, gonna, are you guys thinking about video for marketing anytime soon? Do you have a strategy in place? What are you thinking about?
1: Well, uh, let, here, let me tell you what we're doing, and you tell me if you think this makes sense. So um, we, have, you know, we have two videos on our site now. Mm-hmm. One's sort of like, yeah, like one's like the case study, and then one's like the how it works. And I think the next step for us is to build a, a really good YouTube channel because there is not a lot of really good content on YouTube about books and publishing. And all this, we've written some amazing stuff, and I feel like I can just shoot videos of that. You know, good, high-quality videos, obviously, but I can shoot videos of that, and we can own YouTube for, for book stuff. Like, I can basically turn the blog posts into kind of short 30-second to 3-minute explainer videos, things like that. Does
0: that make sense to you? Oh, it makes 100% sense. I mean, I think that's the best strategy out there. YouTube's the second most used search engine, Right. And it's really the place people go to learn. It's the first place people go to learn. I mean, I'm trying to fix my air conditioning. I'm, I'm trying, I'm like, I really shouldn't be, but I'm on YouTube. I think I can do it. And what, what I love about that strategy, you know, I, I talk to people about like being abundant and giving, like, just show every, how everything is done because the people that are going to do it are going to do it either way. And that percentage the people that you want are the people that want it done really well and don't want a book that sucks. And so they're going to go, okay, this is hard. These people know how to do it. It's just like the book, right? And I, now it's transparent. makes complete sense to me. Let me just give him a call. I love it. That's it for episode one with Tucker Max. I mean, it's such an inspiring story. High energy, getting stuff done. And he, he comes back on next next episode. You definitely have to check out the next episode because not only he talks about how to use your book for marketing yourself, but he also talks about the keys to marketing yourself with a book, how to market the book, and then also how they're going to be using video and how he thinks video is the future and, and some of the interesting ways they're going to make books and video. Whether you're an author, an aspiring author, a speaker, a coach, a marketer, talking about books, definitely have to listen to the next episode of we'll Talk Max coming up soon. That's it for The Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow I & Garlic on Facebook.